listening to Brave Girls Club. I'm Lindsay. I'm Kelly. And I'm Krista. And this is a a podcast. podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, should we start off with the disclaimer for this episode? This is the misery episode. Uh, Last episode, we were talking about making it grosser and more disturbing Mm -hmm. and disgusting and so um that's this episode yeah so um particularly my story has a lot of domestic abuse so if um that's a trigger for you maybe don't Don't listen listen. this episode is just not for anyone who's got sensitivities yeah yeah so we just wanted to put that out there because we ain't holding back Nope. We're going today. for it. And, and it's all true stuff. So And it's nasty. It's not our fault that it happened. We're just <laughs> talking about yeah. it. Yeah. True. So, um, and since all of our stories are pretty long, should we just jump into it? Yeah. Might as well just yeah, jump right into it. To. Did you want to go first? Yeah. Mine's actually not very long, and it's probably like the most tame of all the stories. Okay. So, um, yeah, I guess we can just start with mine. Okay. All right, so my story begins in 1961 with a terrible motor accident. A drunk motorcyclist swerved off the road and into a group of pedestrians walking along the side of the roadway. The fiery crash claimed many lives, including one of a young teenage male who was part of a Boy Scouts-type program called the Young Pioneers. The victim lay in a a puddle of blood, fire, and smoke as his body convulsed for a few long moments until he finally succumbed to his fatal injuries. This is in Russia, by the way. Um, Among the witnesses of this violent scene was a young um, Anatoly Slivko, a 23-year-old Russian man who worked at a youth center and ran a children's club. Perhaps it was the shock of the bloodbath, but Slivko found himself inexplicably sexually aroused by the carnage. Oh. Like like you do. Yeah, cool. (laughs) It happens. So, um, in an attempt to recreate the sexual rush he felt seeing that young boy die on the street, he began scheming and thinking of ways he could exploit his job as a youth counselor at the children's club. (gasps) Oh, this is dark. That's, that's a really <laughs> I told you. job. Yeah. Good for so, him. So uh, slowly he would groom one or two boys a year into an inappropriate friendship with him. These boys would range in age between 13 and 17 and were always smaller than all the other boys. This is how Slivko convinced them to participate in his experiments. Experiments? Experiments? Cool. Yes. <laughs> Can't wait. So, um, beginning in 1963, Slivko would take the boys out into the woods under the guise of making a World War II film, because I guess this guy was kind of an amateur filmmaker kind of person. Okay. So, he would convince the boys that in this experiment, he could make them grow taller by hanging them by the throat and letting the spine stretch out in the process, as well as adding a cool effect for the torture scene in his World War II movie. Oh, my God. He told the boys that in order for it to work, they would have to be hanged until they passed out. So once the boys were unconscious, he would arrange the boys' bodies into sexually suggestive poses and film himself touching them inappropriately. 
after he was finished, Slivko would resuscitate the boys and had them tell or told them not to tell anybody about the experiment. Then in 1973, boys started to go missing. First, it was 15-year-old boy named Alexander Nezmayanov. Sorry, these are all very Russian names, so I'm going to try my best. Um <laughs> who was a member of Slivko's youth group. Then in 1975, another member of his group, 11-year-old Andre Pogacian, disappeared as well. In 1980, 13-year-old Sergei Fatsiev disappeared, as well as 15-year-old Slava Kovistik in 1982. The first lead surprisingly did not come until uh, 1985, when 13-year-old Sergei Pavlov disappeared, but not after mentioning to a friend that he was going to visit Slivko for a boys' youth group meeting. So um, this is actually uh, the investigator for the who was assigned to these missing persons, uh, persons cases. She's like my built-in brave girl for the night because mm-hmm. she was total badass and like helped solve this fucking case. So her name was um, Tamara Lang, and she was the investigator assigned to them. And she was uh, suspicious of Slivko since the disappearance of Sergei Fatsiev in 1980. But she just couldn't catch him in an illegal act, so she couldn't charge him with any wrongdoing. On a whim, she interviewed members of Slivko's club when most of the members revealed that they all suffered from memory loss due to Slivko's strange experiments. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, this gave her the lead she needed to investigate him uh, further, and this investigation led to the arrest of Anatoly Slivko in 1985, and he confessed immediately. Um, all in all, he was convicted of seven counts of murder, seven counts of necrophilia, and seven counts of sexual abuse, even though he had molested over 40 boys over his <gasps> 40. career. 40. 40. Oh, my yep. God. That's a lot of boys. <laughs> yes. So, um... That's pretty much the story, but for those of you who have no ethical standards, these videos are actually online. Somewhere <gasps> you can find them. Oh, oh Jesus. fuck no. I don't think yeah. I could do that. I mean, it must be illegal to watch that, right? Yeah, no, I don't I, I think they're I don't know if they're like full videos, but I know you can find like like clips of the boys hanging and <gasps> like I didn't look them up because I have moral standards but like um if you go to like Google image searches there's like <gasps> pictures of the boys like hanging yeah that is horrifying and he also like I don't know if he had like a foot fetish or something but he would uh save the victim's shoes and he would like line them up and take pictures of the shoes and like saved them as souvenirs of his murderers so wow I think you can also find those online all right well that was our tamest one for the Uh, night yeah i don't know that one was (laughs) yeah that that one was pretty nasty pretty nasty but i do like that it was a female detective that caught him yeah that is cool yeah sorry about it sorry (laughs) i'm just gonna apologize for (laughs) where did you find that one i actually saw it in one of like the murder groups i'm on somebody posted an article about him Okay. And yeah, I'd never heard of him before. I never heard so. of him either. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. That's very scary. I oh god, the whole thing with the car crash in the beginning. Yeah. And, like that's what like triggered it. Like I'm really into this. Like what um, has to go wrong in your life for you to I don't know. 
Oh, I should I should have mentioned. I don't know why I didn't put it in there, but like he would chop the bodies up like after he killed them like his seven victims he would dismember them and light them on fire to kind of like recreate that like fiery crash that he saw oh so yeah that too jesus christ oh and he was uh (laughs) jesus christ he was after he was convicted he was sentenced to like death and he died by firing squad Oh Damn. wow! Is, yeah. Don't they still do that in some states? What does he I look like? Some states. I don't know. I didn't look him up. Hmm. I didn't look up his picture. We'll post it. I'll find one. Yeah. Do you know how old he was during all of this? He was 23 when it first wow. started. Yeah. For some reason, I was picturing like, an and he old didn't get man. caught for like 20 years. So. Oh wow. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> I know. Yeah, speechless. I know. Sorry, guys. So yeah, if you're still listening, congratulations. <laughs> it's only getting worse. Woo! All right. Should I Bummer go? Bummer jams. Where do you want to go? I... You said you didn't want to go last. I kind of want to go last. You want to go last? Mine's okay. probably gonna be the worst. Yours is really. I'm familiar with Lindsay's, and hers is really sad. But yeah. mine is more brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And also very sad. They're all sad. <laughs> sad girls club. <laughs> I have a pin that says that. My jacket. Yeah, you do. All right, guys. So, da 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 da. Um, my story is about a woman named Jill Cahill. So, I'm just going to get right into it. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was when I I have yet to get uh, legitimately bummed from a story that I've done uh, until this one. Like today I had to like legitimately get out of my house to finish it because I was like crying real tears. Oh, no. So um, heads up. It's a fun one. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Anyway, um, it's it's really interesting, though, you know. We hate it, but we love it. You know, it's yeah. a very weird thing <laughs> that we're I into, mostly guys. Just love it. Okay. Um, so Jill Cahill, uh, age forty-one, was divorcing James or Jeff Cahill. Things uh, hadn't been good for some time, and the, uh, the serious financial problems weren't making anything better. She'd gotten a legal separation, which Jeff had signed, but she remained living in the same house until she could afford to move out. Jill had taken the children to visit family in Tonawanda. These are all in the city of New York, by the way. I mean, not city, um, state of New York. Um, and before she left to return home to uh, Syracuse? Syracuse, yes. Um, Kelly lived in New York. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Syracuse. Uh, she turned to her sister and stated, if Jeff kills me, you can have all my things. Like she knew it was going to happen. That's so sad. Um... Alrighty, so 1996, um, April 21st, that's when this uh, first took place. Um, It was one night after Jill had returned 
from the visit uh, with her family and Jeff Cahill began arguing with her. It spun into a heated argument and Jill started trying to walk away from Jeff. He grabbed an aluminum baseball bat, came up behind her and began striking her. As Jill fought for her life, she cried out to her two frightened children to get um, help because their, quote, their father was trying to kill her. Jeff dragged Jill into the kitchen and beat her several more times. Jill was savagely beaten. She suffered at least four life-threatening blows to her head, bruising her, um, bruising on the right side of her neck and on her left breast. The skin was scraped on her right shoulder, her right elbow, her right forearm, and on her wrist. Her right hand was badly bruised and swollen and the nail on her middle right finger had been ripped off she had a smaller wound wound on her left thumb and her right arm was completely broken so he beat the fuck out of her how old are the kids do you know all in front of their young children age nine and ten What a piece of shit. I'm angry. Yeah. I kind of get angrier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. After a bit, uh, Jeff called his parents. His parents, brother, and a family friend who was a doctor arrived at the house and found Jill covered in blood, um, in pain, and moaning incoherently. It wasn't until their arrival that the police and ambulance were called. Jeff lied and told the police they had an argument and Jill started stabbing him with a kitchen knife. So he defended himself with the Louisville slugger, slamming it straight to her head. He showed them, quote, cuts and scratches on his body. Wow. The Kelly, help me out with this one. On, 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 Yeah. Okay. County. A family court placed the Cahill children into custody of Jill's parents and then issued a protective order against um, Jeff. Um, mm, Sorry, one second. Uh, He could not have contact with his children. Uh, Jeff was charged with assault and posted cash bail of a hundred thousand dollars within 24 hours he would await trial on the assault charges um prosecutor william fitzpatrick quote there was no reason to believe that cahill was a threat to miss to mrs cahill cahill had been examined by psychiatrists who determined he was not dangerous after he beat the shit After out of his wife. After he beat the shit out of somebody with a, with metal a baseball, baseball bat. bat. I'm speechless. <sighs> Fuck that dude. Still, as a precaution, <laughs> the judge had set a substantial bail and issued the order of uh, protection. Jeff Cahill was charged with assault and posted... Oh, whoa. What? Wait, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I already said that. Um, um, 
Okay, sorry. God, sorry. I'm all over the place. I kind of messed up on my uh, paper. Anyway. Um, okay, so this is now 1998 in October. It had been a long six months. Jill Cahill had been hospitalized with intensive damages to her body every time she had a setback. She um, she fought back, uh, hoping to get better. She'd had an initial emergency surgery and then later surgery to remove a blood clot from her brain. Throughout her um, hospitalization, she had subsequent procedures. Most were to reduce brain swelling or to um, fight life-threatening infections. Yet Jill held on to life an inch toward an inch toward a full recovery. She'd started rehabilitation and her doctors were pleased and hopeful that she would again be able to live a meaningful life. She'd been um, able to recall the names of her two children and had regained some ability to speak. Now here's the next part of the story. <laughs> Uh, oh no. <laughs> okay. The restraining order was placed was in place and Jeff uh his photo was posted at every nurse's station in the hospital. Jeff had researched for cyanide several times and eventually figured out a way to order it so that he alone could receive it without tracing it back to him, or so he thought. Cahill created a fake uh, letterhead for general super planting. It's um, some electro planting that uses um, cyanide as like a thing. So he pretty much like faked like a whole account and everything so he could get it. That is so extra. Yeah. Um, but when it was delivered, the UPS um, person uh, found it to be fishy. So he um, he he put down his um, license plate number after he like like he put delivered it in. It. Yeah, yeah, delivered it. Yeah. Um, Jeff created his disguise and began uh, casing out the hospital. He created a fake hospital ID, wore a wig, boots, glasses, and a uniform which resembled the uniform worn by hospital maintenance workers. Uh, um, Jeff uh, wore a blue um, shirt and white pants. Uh, da, 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 da. Sorry. Um, so, and he got the ID so then he could enter the hospital. A nurse's assistant sees a man dressed as a janitor and questions him about his presence in Jill's room. And all he said was, quote, just came down to say hi to Jill. Cahill uh -huh. Cahill disguised himself as a hospital janitor and after visiting hours attempted to sneak into Jill's hospital room. He even carried a mop. Seeing his opportunity, he snuck into her room and forced the cyanide down her throat with a feeding tube. Hospital employees noticed a man lurking in the hallway. Um, he had on a uniform that resembled the janitor's, um, but it wasn't exact. It wasn't the exact color, and he was very obviously wearing a wig. <laughs> but nobody... Um, 
nobody noticed until it was too late, pretty much. Um, so this is a quote from, I think, one of the nurses. She had this white powder substance on her chest. There were bruises around her mouth and she was gasping for air. She went into cardiac arrest. Uh, Mrs. Cahill had scrapes and cuts around her mouth um, consistent with being force fed. So she was like alive and like fighting pretty much. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, the substance found on Jill's neck and chest had tested positive for cyanide. Um, a very potent, rapidly acting poison that in very, very small quantities can called, can cause death. It stops the body using its, using its oxygen and, um, you pretty much just suffocate to death. Um, yeah, I saw a, I actually saw a video of someone like die from cyanide poisoning and it's not pretty. It was like a guy in court who like was sentenced and like he takes the pill like in court and it's like a court camera and he just like collapses and he's like making these sounds like he's suffering. So it is not a, it's It's not a painless. It's it's especially sad because she was like so close to getting better and Mm -hmm. she worked so hard after going through everything she went through and putting her kids through everything her kids have been through and it was like the light at the end of the tunnel was like why were there not it's so fucked why were there not like security guards posted outside her room i don't know maybe because he wasn't a a real danger i guess according to that guy lost his license right (laughs) yeah yeah um i hope so So, okay, a state Supreme Court jury convicted James Cahill, reaching their verdict of guilty of first degree murder, assault and criminal possession of a weapon after three hours of deliberating. The jury sentenced him to death. Um, How did it take three hours to decide that? The, the jury the, oh my god three hours is so fast yeah three hours is really fast for a murder trial yeah they usually take weeks yeah that's so. wild but prosecutors had obtained the death penalty but the state court of appeals overturned the death sentence the court of appeals reversed both convictions and reduced the crime to second degree murder set aside the death sentence and returned the case to trial court for resentencing how how was that second degree murder he clearly he was wearing a wig he was planning it it's all fucked up it's crazy um like fire all of these people and he ended up being sentenced to 37 years to life uh debbie jill's sister raised uh jeff and jill's two children then um aged 10 uh 10 and 9 years old in their tonawanda (laughs) home she was um, instrum- She was instrumental in uh, pushing for the passage of Jilly's Law. The law would make it more difficult 
for alleged domestic violence ab- abusers to post bail. Uh, she also volunteers with the Family Justice Center of Erie County. That's a brave girl. That's yeah. a brave girl. That's my favorite part of the story. Yep. <laughs> and that's where Julie's Law comes from. And that's the end of that story. God dang. What a wow. fun one. Yeah. That one just makes me so angry. I know. Me too. I was like, I, it was like driving me crazy a little bit reading about it. I was like, oh my God. It's, it's a failure of the system. Mm-hmm. 100%. <sighs> so frustrating. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. So, um, Brave Girls Club. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, I'm having a terrible time. <laughs> yeah. Why I, did we do this, guys? Can we do a ghost next week? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do fun ones next yeah, time. Yeah. Can we just do like ghost stories next week, please? <laughs> Mine's kind of fun. Just kidding. Okay. It's terrible. terrible. Yeah. Oh my okay. God. It's so terrible. <laughs> Should I jump into yeah, it? Let's yeah. Just get let's, into let's it. Let's just do it. <laughs> All right. This isn't even. This is the worst idea sad. we've ever had. Malik just gets up and leaves. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, I chose to do the story of Suzanne Capper. Never heard of her. Never heard of and her. And I'm gonna wish that I never did. I'm. Oh, I'm absolutely. guessing. All right. Let me get comfortable here. That's it's, okay. a, it's a doozy. It's a long one. Okay. It's a doozy. I'm ready. I'm just gonna. <laughs> The murder of 16-year-old Suzanne Capper was committed in Greater Manchester, England, in December 1992. Detectives conducting the inquiry said that for sheer mindless brutality, the crime ranked alongside the torture inflicted on children by the Moores murderers, but received little publicity as it coincided with the trial of Robert Thompson and John Venables for the murder of James Bulger in the United States. I remember that case. You guys know that one. Yep. Capper, described as a gentle and easily influenced girl, had been babysitting for Jean Powell's three children since she was 10 years old. In 1990, she had spent time in the care of the local authority after her mother, Elizabeth Capper, and her stepfather separated, after which Suzanne and her older sister, Michelle, stayed with their stepfather. Around this time, Capper began to truant from Mostenbrook High School, and her attendance during the final two years of schooling was described as erratic. Capper increasingly spent her time at the Powell's house, which was in later years also inhabited, inhabited by Powell's friend Bernadette McNeely and her three children. Capper continued to stay regularly, even though Powell and McNeely frequently bullied her. According to Suzanne's sister, Michelle, it was not that she was scared of them. It's just that she would do anything for them. She pampered their every whim. Powell was separated from her husband, Glenn. There's going to be a lot of names in this. It's going to get a little confusing, but mostly Jean and Bernadette are the baddies here. Okay. Okay. Powell was separated from her husband, Glenn, although the two remained friendly and he would visit regularly from his nearby home. McNeely's boyfriend was 16-year-old Anthony Dudson, who was also having sexual intercourse with Powell. And these two women are both in their mid to late 20s, by the way. What the frick? Powell was sexually involved with Jeffrey Lee as well, a regular visitor to the house and a purchaser of amphetamines. Another frequent visitor to the house was Powell's younger younger brother, Clifford Pook, I, who I believe is... Um, Pook or Pook, I don't know. I think he was 17 or 18. 
At trial, it emerged that Capper had been kidnapped for insubstantial, even trivial reasons. Jean Powell claimed that Capper had tried to persuade her to sleep with a man for money. McNeely and Dudson had contracted pubic lice, which they believed were from a bed that Capper had also used. And McNeely believed that Capper had stolen a pink coat that belonged to her. On December 7th, 1992, Capper was lured to Jean Powell's home, where Glenn Powell and Dudson were already waiting. She was grabbed as soon as she arrived and held down while Glenn Powell shaved her head and her eyebrows and then made her clean up the hair and place it in a trash can. Then he placed a plastic bag over her head and walked around her while hitting her on the head. (laughs) What is wrong with people? She was then kicked by Jean Powell and McNeely as she lay curled up on the floor, and both women took turns beating her with a three-foot-long wooden instrument and a belt. She was then taken to the bathroom and forced to shave off her pubic hair as a ritual humiliation and revenge for having caused, as they claimed, Dudson and McNeely themselves to be shaved. Afterwards, Jean Powell locked her in a cupboard overnight. The following morning, she was taken upstairs and locked in another cupboard. On December 8th, she was transferred to McNeely's house because of concern that Powell and McNeely's six children were disturbed by Capper's crying. Uh, Yeah. There, There she was tied spread eagle to an upturned bed with electrical flex and a down in a downstairs back room. Over the next five days, Capper was subjected to a series of violent acts, increasing in severity and brutality as the time passed. She was regularly beaten and injected with amphetamines, burned with cigarettes, and was forced to wear headphones playing music at maximum volume 24 hours a day. Oh my god. At some point during the week, Pook and Lee visited the house and were shown Capper, blindfolded and gagged, tied to the bed. By this time, Capper had been lying in her own urine and feces for several days and was placed in a bath containing concentrated disinfectant and scrubbed with a stiff brush with sufficient force to remove areas of skin. Pook then used pliers to extract a number of her teeth, which police found later at his house like some sort of macabre trophy. Disgusting. Dudson said, I was stood at the doorway with Jeannie Powell and Bernie McNeely, Cliff Pook, Pook took her gag off. He told her to open her mouth. He said, right, I'm going to rip your teeth out. He started hitting her teeth with the pliers. He got the pliers on and started pulling it out. But it just sta- snapped and chipped. Then he hit them for a few more times. He put the pliers on again and really, really pulled. Oh, my God. He pulled Suzanne's head forward until there was a snap, and he had the tooth in the pliers. He did the same thing again, and he was laughing. During the course of Suzanne's kidnapping and torture, an 18-year-old David Hill was asked to sit in at the house, and while there, he heard Dudson shout, "Shut Shut up, you slag, in the back room. When he asked what was going on, Lee showed him Capper. He said she had a sort of cloth over her face from just above her eyebrows and covering her nose. She had a bit of dried blood on her lip. She had no hair. Hill also said that he heard them talking about dentistry work. It was something about pulling her teeth out with a pair of pliers. Later, he was left alone in the house with Capper, who pleaded with him to untie her. He said, she asked me if I could help, and I told her I couldn't. I asked her who she was. She said her name was Suzanne. She asked me if I could untie her. I said I couldn't do anything. 
He later claimed that he was too afraid of Lee to intervene or raise the alarm, saying, I thought they would batter me. If I'd said anything, they'd have all got me, wouldn't they? I didn't know what to do. I was too shocked to do anything. While Capper was being held in the house, Lee and Dudson met up with her sister's fiancé, Paul Barlow, to help him repair his car. Barlow said, They could have told me right there and then. The door would have been kicked down and I would have got Suzanne out. I did not think they were capable of such savagery. Now all I want is ten minutes with them in a back room. Same. Yeah. The six finally agreed that Capper had to be removed from the house after Michelle Capper told them her stepfather was going to report her to the police as a missing person. In the early hours of December 14, 1992, Capper was forced into the trunk of a stolen white Fiat Panda and driven 15 miles to a narrow lane at Werneth Low near Romilly on the outskirts of Stockport. In the car were McNeely, the Powells, and Dudson. McNeely giggled as they made the journey. Capper was pushed down an embankment into a patch of brambles where McNeely poured gasoline all over her. Powell stated Suzanne was still wobbly and fell over. Bernie McNeely said, get up. Bernie pushed her down the hill and poured more gasoline on her. When McNeely had difficulty getting the gas to ignite, Glenn Powell asked Dudson for some paper, who handed him a folded envelope which Powell then attempted to light and use as a taper. After three failed attempts, Dudson said in the end he just went up to her with the lighter and lit her. He lit her on the back. She went straight up in flames and was screaming. The flames lit up the whole forest. McNeely began to sing Burn Baby Burn from the Tramp's song Disco Inferno. Once Capra stopped writhing and screaming, the four returned to Jean Powell's house, stopping to buy drinks on the way. Oh my God. Both Lee and Poop were at the house when they arrived, and Dudson stated, Cliff asked Glenn, have you done it? Glenn said, yes, and he was laughing. He gave Cliff his lighter back. However, Capper had not died, as her captors believed, and after they left, she managed to scramble back up the embankment and stagger along the lane for approximately a quarter of a mile Ugh, to Comstall Road, before being found at 6.10 a.m. by by Barry Sutcliffe and two of his colleagues on their way to work. She told them, over there in the field, they burnt me, they put petrol on me. They immediately took her to a nearby house and roused the inhabitants, who were Michael and Margaret Coop, to to call an ambulance. Michael Coop said, both her hands appeared like ash, her legs were like raw meat, and her feet appeared to be badly charred. I was struck by how polite the victim was. She was constantly thanking my wife for her assistance. Margaret Coop said, I instinctively went to put my arms around her, but she pulled away because she could not bear to be touched. Her head was shaved, and there were recent, not new cuts on her head. Her face was almost featureless. Her hands were red and raw and black at the fingertips. Her legs were red from bottom to top. She couldn't bear anything near her legs. Capper drank six glasses of water but was unable to hold the glasses herself because of the injuries to her hands. Margaret Coop said she looked like the victim of an attack in the Vietnam War, but she felt she would survive. I had this theory that now... She had got to go somewhere she could be helped and she would be she would live. 
Capper was rushed to the hospital and was able to give the names of her six assailants and Powell's address before falling into a coma. Mm -hmm. The extent of her burns was such that her mother and stepfather were unable to recognize her, and she was positively identified by a partial fingerprint from her thumb, the only part of her hands not severely burned. She died on Mm -hmm. September 18, 1992, without ever regaining consciousness. (coughs) The inquiry was read by detectives was led by Detective Inspector Peter Wall of Greater Manchester Police. At 7.30 on December 14th, he instructed officers to attend 97 Langworthy Road and arrest everyone that they found there. Jean Powell and Bernadette McNeely laughed and joked with each other as they were arrested. Initially, all six denied involvement. Under questioning, Dudson, who had been urged by his father to tell the truth, began to talk. uh, D.I. Wall said of Dudson's statement, As the story began to unfold, we just couldn't believe it. I kept asking myself how one human being could do this to another. Police officers wept as the extent of Suzanne's suffering was revealed. And together with civilian staff at the police station, collected cash to send flowers to her at the hospital. On December 17, 1992, the six accused appeared before magistrates in Manchester and were remanded into custody, charged with kidnapping and attempted murder. Following Capper's death, they were charged with her murder on the 23rd of December 1992. The inquest was opened by Leonard Gorodkin at Manchester Coroner's Court on January 8, 1993, Dr. William Lawler, a home office pathologist, testified that Capper had suffered 75 to 80 percent burns consistent with having had gasoline thrown all over her and set alight and that her chance of survival had always been minimal. It was clear from the outset Suzanne was unlikely to survive. She suffered widespread burns that led to several complications internally. Death was due to complications caused by these burns, the coroner said. It is clear that this young girl must have suffered a great deal of pain and had no chance of survival. Mm. But she did fortunately survive long enough to give information which led to her attackers being charged with their death. To Capper's mother and stepfather, the coroner said, I offer you, not just on my behalf, but on the behalf of the entire nation, my very deepest sympathy and condolences at this tragic happening to your young daughter. The trial commenced on November 16, 1993, and lasted 22 days. All six denied murder, and in their testimonies, each defendant tried to minimize their part in the crime. The jury began their deliberations on December 16, 1993, and took nine hours and 52 minutes to reach their verdicts. Mr. Justice Potts said, Each of you has been convicted of the clear evidence of murder, which was as appalling a murder as it is possible to imagine. Jean Powell was 26, Glenn Powell was 29, and Bernadette McNeely was 24. They were all jailed for life for murder. Each received concurrent 20-year terms for conspiracy to commit grievous bodily harm, as did Glenn Powell for false imprisonment. Anthony Dudson, 17, was also found guilty of murder, was ordered to be detained by at Her Majesty's pleasure. He received concurrent 15-year terms for conspiracy to commit grievous bodily harm and false imprisonment. Jeffrey Lee, 27, was jailed for 12 years for false imprisonment. 12 years? Clifford Pook, 18, was sentenced to 15 years detention for conspiracy to commit grievous bodily harm and seven years concurrent for false imprisonment. This is bullshit. Uh, McNeely got out in 2014. And she was kind of the ringleader next to Powell. Wow. 
pretty, pretty horrible. What the fuck? Oh my god. I am like dead. You're dead? Yes. I am dead. I warned you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, like I like, well, like I didn't like it, but you know, I liked it. <laughs> I'm so speechless. Shooketh. I'm shooketh. But I, I did have a really good idea, I think, um, that I thought of while listening to your guys' stories because you, you know how we were like, thinking about getting like merch made mm-hmm. we should do like a portion of the proceeds of those and like donate them to like uh women's like victims of like domestic violence or something yeah yeah that would be cool just because it's so fucking gross yeah how no one fucking seems to see the problem until it's too late uh-huh. or like things like how um like, if my brother turned to me and said, if Denver kills me, you can have all my things. You I'd don't be like, say that. Like, um, people just don't say yeah, that. Yeah, you don't say that. She was clearly already afraid for her life. Yeah, yeah, like, that's just, it's not okay. So, yeah, I was thinking that's something that we could do. And it's also not fucking okay to, like, not believe someone when they tell you they feel like something's wrong yeah absolutely because that happens a lot too Mm -hmm. and then it's too late like i feel like people downplay it because they think like oh no that person's not capable yeah they wouldn't do that yeah but like literally anybody is capable of anything Mm -hmm. so it's i i just i like can't stress that enough Mm -hmm. because it's always it always seems to be the people that you don't expect it to be because who would you expect to do something so fucking awful yeah because we are normal and we like that's my first thought when like i hear a story like kelly's i'm like who could do that yeah like who could do that oh one of the things that i read i didn't include it for some reason but um i think it was the judge that uh sentenced them had made a comment about how they were all um, like interviewed by therapists and stuff, and they were all sane, perfectly sane. And he just couldn't believe how people of sane mind could commit this kind of yeah. act. And yeah. it it just shows you like, could you imagine anybody? driving down the road, going to work, and seeing a bald, burnt lady like crawling around, a sixteen-year-old? Yeah, that's. And this is like Terrifying. older women, like mm-hmm. torturing a young woman. Mm-hmm. It's so creepy. Yeah. I. Yeah. And so many people could have done anything. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. That's yeah, so that's strange. so weird. There How were, was there so many people involved and not yeah. one person like thought there were five adults and one minor, and then that one kid who. Was just too scared to say anything. Yeah, apparently. like those people must have been fucking scary. Yeah, I mean, that's... like that's some weird, like culty, like type shit. Yeah, there, there is like a phenomenon of like people 
not doing anything because nobody else is doing anything. Yeah. Though I forget what it's called. The bystander effect. Yeah, that's it. It's apparently really, uh, like prominent. Like it's a thing that happens a lot Mm -hmm. in, in situations like that. But yeah, like we all think like, oh, if I was there, I would have done this. But you don't know how you would react until you're in that position. That's what I'm saying, man. Those people must have been scary. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yikes. They had a woman chained to a bed in their house. Like no big deal. Teeth and hair removed. How could you rip someone's teeth out? That's disgusting. Like it makes me cringe yeah, thinking me about it. It makes my teeth hurt. You have about to it. like be really Ooh, fucking me. sick to do something like that. I want to like look at pictures of the puppies now. <laughs> yeah, know. we fucked up. I know. <laughs> like it's a bad while, episode. While you guys were telling your stories, I was like thinking, like, should we even post this? Like, this is terrible. I don't know. <laughs> no, we definitely should. It's not as long as we thought it would be. Oh. Yeah, I guess it isn't. Yeah. I mean, um, that gives us some time to like... I thought I was going to be more excited for some reason. (laughs) I don't know why. No, we fucked up. Yeah, we did. Maybe we can do like one brutal story and then the rest be like chill, normal ones, you know? It's because we got a lot of comments about the hi-fi murders, Mm -hmm. and so we wanted to treat you guys. Yeah. Here you go. You're welcome. We we heard your feedback. I hope you're happy. Yeah. You made (laughs) us all fucking depressed. I just want to lay down and eat food. (laughs) It was our own decision. Yeah. It's our own damn fault. Let's see. I'm looking for happy stories. (laughs) <laughs> maybe we can have like a happy brave girl or something we should have done this earlier cuba gooding jr's dad was found dead in a car <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> cuba gooding senior that's, that's wild sad. <laughs> yeah it's sad i wonder if ace knows does ace know oh don't i don't tell, know don't tell ace i won't it'll I break his heart like this podcast has like some weird parallels with cuba gooding jr for some reason yeah We've brought him up a few times. Mm -hmm. He's in OJ. He's in American Horror Story. Mm -hmm. And our friend Ace really loves Cuba Gooding Jr. So, (laughs) Snow Dogs. Radio. Radio. What else is he in? He's in The Butler, isn't he? I don't know. He's in that airplane movie. Airplane movie? Yeah. Snakes on a Plane. No. It's about, um, like... World War One or one World War Two? Oh, is it that terrible? It's like red something. <laughs> is that the airplane movie that George Lucas made? I don't know who made it, but it's about like a the Tuskegee Airmen. I yeah, I think it's. <laughs> I don't know. What I you saw guys are it in the movie about. theaters because my dad is friends with Cuba Gooding Jr. and he wanted to support his friend. Oh. <laughs> so we went and saw it. Is Cuba okay? I don't know. I haven't heard. I'm I'm sure he's not. <laughs> yeah. Um Oh, he also went to Apple Valley High School. Yeah. yeah. Duh. Um My brother's it's graduating from there this year. I'm looking up what that <laughs> movie was called. 
Is it is it the George Lucas one? Can you check that too? <clears throat> did we watch any movies? No, we've we been did, drinking we a lot. Did, <laughs> <laughs> we did karaoke for Kelly's birthday. Yeah. Happy late birthday, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for doing karaoke for me. Um, Kelly doesn't really remember that much of it. I got real drunk. It was <laughs> fun. That's what I hear. I hear that I made someone eat a banana for me. Yeah, she shoved a banana <laughs> in someone's mouth and it was really funny. I and asked him about that today and he was like, no, I wanted the banana. <laughs> aww, aww. <laughs> the movie's called Red Tails and it was directed by Anthony Hemingway. Does it have anything to do with George Lucas? What am I thinking of? I have no idea. I don't know. But um, Krista has a secret banging voice. <laughs> yeah, Krista. She got up there and sang Rehab by Amy Winehouse and blew us all away. Yeah. Oh my God. Shooketh. Thank you. I was fucking so nervous and I was like gonna throw up until they called my name. Oh to my do it. God. It was okay. Can we talk about the what's this girl? Oh. <laughs> uh, there was a girl. So, all, so, you know, everyone's sitting there watching people come up and sing. And then you hear the DJ goes, Who out there likes Nightmare Before Christmas? <laughs> and we all looked at each other like, Oh, uh, what? Like, please don't. That's and not it's happening. Fucking April. And she got up there and sang, What's this? What's this? <laughs> and we were like, what is and going she on? She knew the words. Like, she wasn't reading them off the Oh, yeah. She knew prompter. that shit. She knew it. She was not a fake fan. Yeah, she's real. She was real. <laughs> not a poser at In all. In the middle of April. Just fucking Christmas <laughs> music. <laughs> I mean, that's cool, man. And a yeah. lot of people, besides Kelly, because Kelly was singing Bummers, but a lot of people were singing Bummers. Well, it yeah. was a Tuesday night at a gay bar. <laughs> yeah, in the high desert. Yeah. Like, what else do you Man, do? Man, I was just trying to party. Yeah. I partied. We partied. Yeah, we partied. It was fun. Had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got, uh, we stopped and got a donut on the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at a 24-hour donut place. What was that weird purple milkshake thing on my... Uh, coffee table in the morning it was a taro root smoothie that josh decided to buy for some reason it was totally full yeah because it was disgusting everyone was like it's not that bad you're just picky i was like it tastes like butter popcorn jelly beans that's what luciano said yeah it was was disgusting the next day i was like also he josh bought like three donuts and got a medium smoothie like I don't know it's what that boy much. was thinking. It's but too much for his tiny body. Yeah, I don't know why he did that. He's been craving donuts for like a week. <laughs> I know. He just kept talking about donuts. So Krista was like, okay, let's stop for donuts. God. <laughs> yeah, I told him we could do that. So Yeah. And he would not let me forget it like all night. So that was the so only reason he came. Yeah. yeah. Someone would take him to get donuts. That's fine. I didn't even I have one because I thought if I ate one, I would have thrown up. Yeah. I was wearing have. heels that night. Those disco My disco shoes. heels. Mm-hmm. I drank so much and got so drunk. And then I woke up the next morning and felt great. And it's because Luciano taught me this cool trick uh, where you drink water. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. I've never heard yeah. that. I... 
can't believe no one has ever told me this before. It was your birthday. Where you stay hydrated and you suddenly don't feel sick. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Sounds fake, but okay. I drink a lot Sounds of water fake, all but day, okay. but I guess I just stop at night when I'm drinking beers. You're either drinking water or coffee. Yeah, I'm always drinking water and coffee. Usually at the same time. That With two straws. <laughs> one on the left and one on the right. <laughs> like snake bites. That uh, life hack about the water, I think, probably makes this episode worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So You're I mean, welcome. You learn yeah. a little something, take something away <laughs> other than don't be shitty. Yeah. But, like, um... <laughs> Also, another moral of the story, like, if you see something, say something. I think that came up last uh, episode also. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? During what one? Tarar? If you see Tarar, say Say Tarar. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say it three times, though. Oh, my God. (gasps) That would be so fucking scary. He just shows up and eats your baby? Stop. Oh, my God. No, there is a six-year-old in this house. Let's not do that. (gasps) Oh. Well, that's not a thing. You guys just made it up right now. Just in case. Okay. We should turn off all the, we should go in the bathroom, turn off all the lights and turn the faucet on. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh no. I don't That's have time. Funner. Yeah. Beetlejuice <laughs> is probably more, well, a lot more cool. Is that Michael Maybe. Keaton? Yes. Yeah. I want Michael Keaton I wonder Keaton to when they're going to uh, roll out the uh, remake on that one. That's due for, since oh, yeah. everything is being remade. I heard they are doing that. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. I don't know when it's happening though. Who's gonna be Beetlejuice? I wonder. I think he's Michael Keaton's coming back. I feel like I heard that too, but oh. it was a long time ago, so I don't know if it's it was like still last in the works or something. I don't know. I hope Winona Ryder's still in it, just like <clears throat> as an older lady. <laughs> I hope still all Worm is in it because that was my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Spooky Winona. <laughs> I always wanted to be her for Halloween in that from that movie. Lydia. Yeah. Do you remember the Beetlejuice cartoon? Yes, yes, I have a I have the Beetlejuice cartoon trading cards. What? Yeah. You have a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, you have lots of stuff. Thank yeah, your room is full of stuff. It's fun. Thanks. I'm. We I got have... to see a lot of it last night. Yeah. You wanted you wanted to show us all of your like keepsakes. Yeah. So I we looked d- at your photos. I do that when I drink sometimes. Oh, she brought out all these like weird dance outfits. <laughs> Including like tutus and stuff like that. And I she, like tried them on. I was a. <laughs> I'm so extra. It was fun. It was. I was uh, in dance when I was younger, and I still I kept all of my um. Well, my mom, I should say, kept all of my like little leotard things, and one of them still fit me. <laughs> I tried it on. Yep, we learned that last night. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It looked fine. Like, you should I'm wear it wear. to the bar next time. I'm going to. I'm going to wear it to Froggies. <laughs> Ew. Uh, I don't know. Don't they have a dress code? No hoodies. That's it. Yeah, no hoodies. Oh, because of the poop bandit guy? Yes. Oh, my God. Did we talk about that? No, no. I don't think we did. It was me. A guy came into a local dive bar here, and he just snuck in, went straight to the bathroom, pooped all over the walls, and then <laughs> like the bartender was like, uh, that weird guy just came in and went into the bathroom, and he's taking a while. So she went in, and he was in there, and there was just shit all over the walls, and he like walked past her and walked out the door, and she was like, what the hell? Come but they here. got his face. They got his there's face on camera. footage. Yeah. yeah. 
He's like, Malik, have you heard this? Your face looks like so (laughs) bewildered right now. It's because it was him. (laughs) They caught me. (laughs) The Froggies poop panda. (laughs) That seems like something that would happen at Froggies. Hey, I'm proud of us. We haven't been there in like two weeks. Yeah, we yeah, went to Ricky's. Yeah, we went to Ricky's instead. We're cheating on Froggies. Well, I mean, because like we always go to shows there, but like Josh broke his collarbone, oh, so yeah. there haven't been any shows there yeah. that our, we want to go to. Our drummer friend broke his collarbone, and it's really sad. Yeah. Get well soon from yeah. the Brave Girls. Like he has like nine more weeks of wearing that. It's a really bad break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. We all feel bad for him. But yeah, I noticed that last night I was, <laughs> when I was laying in bed, I was like, man, I haven't been to Froggy's in a while. <laughs> I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us. Also, like one of the last times I went to Froggy's, I got my card stolen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they spent all your uh, money on Jack in the Box. The last yeah. time I went Which to Froggy's. Which just shows how little money I have. <laughs> <laughs> or they just bought a lot of Jack in the Box. The last time I went to Froggy's, I had an awful time, I think. I remember. Oh, that was that your birthday? No. no, no. It was the night that Josh had his collarbone broken. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then we ended up hanging out at my house. Yeah, I think it was fine actually. And I wouldn't stop making you guys popcorn because it's the only food I had. <laughs> and you made us cinnamon toast. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was a good night. I just like, like kept bringing out. It was a good night when we went to your house, but when we were at Froggy's, yeah. it was like, weird. Oh, was... that was the night that we lit all the candles. Yes, that was a good night. <laughs> and it was just uh, me, me, Lindsay, mm-hmm. and. Luciano. Luciano and we just hung out and <laughs> pretended that the power was out yeah it was really fun <laughs> and I forget what we talked about yeah well I recommend doing that for when you listen to this podcast or if you have scary stories you want to talk about with your friends lighting candles and turning all the lights off or if you have like Christmas lights or something oh, you can so pretend fun. like you're in yeah. stranger things yeah, yeah. It's so fun. The vibes, you know. Yeah, it's vibes, all about the TM. vibes. <laughs> so, should we plug our stuff? Yeah, I wrote it down this plug time. Plug our cool. stuff. <clears throat> our Instagram is at Brave Girls Podcast. Our Twitter is at Brave Girls Pod, P O D, because you can't have a long handle out there. Our Gmail is Brave Girls Podcast at gmail.com. And on Facebook, we are Brave Girls Club. Uh, you can contact us on Gmail or Facebook for any old reason, but our favorite reason is to get spooky stories from you for our True. campfire mini episodes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't, well, we got a few this week, I guess. Like last night, we got a yeah, few. Yeah, but not from, low key, not from listeners. We, because, <laughs> like, we posted on um, our, private, our private Facebooks for people to send us things, and I don't. I, I, I'm pretty sure the guy that sent me one doesn't actually listen to our podcast. Oh, yeah, I don't know if my friend Nick does either, but his story's pretty good. Yeah, we that's got, fine. We got one it's on the fine. email, but it's um, it's more of like a funny story. Okay, but that's I, fine. I just got it like I just saw it like right before I came. Oh, so, really? Who's it from? Uh, Jody again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Jody. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's just gonna be like April and Jody's campfire tale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There, theirs have been good We're so We're going to get merch that says April and Jody's. <laughs> Actually, I want to do Jody's last on the Campfire Tales because it's like funny and I think it'll be nice to end on like a funny story. Okay. That All sounds right. good. All yeah. right. But Should we say goodbye? Oh. I don't. 
how how long are we going? It's, it's about like, an hour. Yeah, it's oh. like want to count it down. Six, Three, seven, two, two, one, an hour. an hour! Yay, we did it this Yay. time. Last episode <laughs> was short. Was it? Yeah. No, I don't remember. It was it was short, but then we talked for a long time about our families. <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, I love my brother. <laughs> Shouts out to Owen. He actually told me that every weekend, him and Eric and Denver go hang out in their room and listen to us really all together that makes me feel happy isn't that cute that is super cute thanks yeah so hey guys (laughs) yeah my dad actually he texted me a couple days ago and he's like what's the link to your podcast and i was like uh (laughs) like i'll send it to you okay and it was for my uncle because i guess my uncle wants to listen to it so my family's very supportive i know i'm very excited all right, guys. Thanks to <laughs> our families <laughs> and Again. God for and also wait. What is what did Justin Bieber say? Was it Justin Bieber? He was like, I want to thank God and not only God but also Jesus or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> not only God but also Jesus. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks and sorry. Yeah, sorry so for sorry. the bummer. We tried to lighten the mood up a little at the end there. Yeah, I feel sorry. I feel better. By talking about how we all just drink too much and hang out at stupid bars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. Right. Well, anyways. Bye. 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 Bye.